Last week, last time, not last week, but last time we looked at Mount Carmel and we looked at um, the competition on Mount Carmel. Elijah came uh, and he told Obadiah to go get Ahab uh, and eventually Obadiah did go and get Ahab and he came and um, Elijah told Ahab to, to gather the prophets of Baal and all the people of Israel and he did. They had a competition. Who could pray down fire? The prophets of Baal could not pray down fire. But when Elijah prayed, uh, the heavens opened and fire came down and licked up the sacrifice, the water, the stones, everything got burned up. And the end of it all was that the people saw it. They fell on their faces and they cried, The Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. So a great victory was won. These people that didn't know which who was who, that didn't know whether God was God or Baal was God at the beginning of the competition, have made up their minds. They have decided that the Lord is the God. But that's not the end of what happened. That's not the end of the story. You see, the issue was rain. The issue of the rain was stopped because the people were worshiping idols. They were following the prophets of Baal. And that situation had to be dealt with. Now, really the message that we're looking at tonight lends itself to the topic of revival, revival very clearly. <clears throat> because what we're looking at is we're looking at this man, Elijah, uh, interceding with God, first of all, to stop the rain. And then we're looking at him interceding tonight to, to start the rain again and God bringing the rain down. But before the rain comes down, sin has to be dealt with. And that's what happens in verse 40. <clears throat> now, let's look there. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, would you bless us tonight, Lord? Help us as we look to your word, Lord. Uh, draw our hearts into it and draw the truth out into us and all blessed spirit of the living God. Uh, would you encourage us, Lord, in the cause of revival? In Jesus' name, amen. And Elijah said unto them, uh, Take the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they took them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. Right? So 450, 850 in total uh, prophets of Baal, they were taken down to the brook Kishon uh, in the exuberation of the moment of the fire having come come down that they couldn't um, pray down. And all these men died. And God was pleased. We need to remember that. Now, we're not Israel, and we're never called upon uh, to, 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 to kill people like that. That's never our calling. If you want to make a comparison between the nation and Christianity, it's the nation and the individual rather than the nation and the church. Several times in history, people have tried to set up the church as the nation uh, to keep the Old Testament law and to do things that way. But there's, no, no, there's never been an organization like the nation of Israel, and the church certainly is not that organization and never will be. Right? <clears throat> but what you have is in each believer, uh, you can take and you can transfer what's said to Israel, and you can transfer it in a measure to each believer. And here's what it will be saying to you as far as revival is concerned. In order for God to bring revival... There needs to be a dealing with sin in individuals. We need to deal with sin. Now, you say, uh, how does that happen? Well, God usually is the instigator of it as he was here. But there needs to be an insti- a, a, a dealing with sin. You see, what keeps God away from the church and away from his children is not the fact that you know, he's not interested. It's not the fact that he's sleeping or tired or weary or, or, or disinterested. What keeps him away is sin. And sin needs to be removed before God will do the work that he wants to do. 
And we need to keep that in mind. Now, <clears throat> obviously, God works first to convince his people of sin, to con- show his people the barriers, to, to show his people the problem, the issue between him and them. But when he does that, in order for there to be the blessing that God wants to bring, there has to be a removal of sin. See, <clears throat> the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. He is holy. And <clears throat> he will not come where there is sin. He, he, he just won't do it. <clears throat> he, he is the dove. He is, he is the dove. He won't come where there is that which defiles. And so we need to understand in our lives that our lives are important to this church. I mean, you can, you can go home and you can sin in the darkness of, of your home where nobody else knows and nobody but you knows about, but somebody knows, God knows. And it causes a, it, it causes a, a difference between you and him and it, it affects the church. And, and always in revival, there's a cleansing and a dealing with sin by the church, by the people in the church, always in revival. You know, what would be really good would be for you and I to just take time and say, now, Lord, is there anything in my life that would hinder you? Now, don't look around and see what's in other people's lives. Is there anything in my life that would hinder you, Lord? Lord, I want to see it because I want to get rid of it. And if we go to him with that heart, that wanting to get rid of it, you know, <clears throat> and then we are ruthless with it. Because this was pretty ruthless. These men died instantly. You know, they came out, they prayed for fire all day. Uh, they couldn't pray down fire. Elijah prayed down fire, proved that God was God. And so they, they all lost their lives on the spot. Now, why did they lose their lives? Because they were leading the people astray. And you know what? Sin will always lead you astray. And for you, when you see sin, to deal with sin ruthlessly and to get it out of your life is a good thing. <clears throat> for you to take and actually deal with those things that offend God. Now, let me say this to you. Let me just, just, just put in your mind. Sometimes we have things in our minds that are sins that are because somebody else told us, but they're not really things that are issues with God. And what you need is you need the Spirit of God to reveal to you anything that would hinder between you and Him. And He's able. He's very well able to do it. But you, you, you want him to show you. And he may show you something that's really not a problem for somebody else. Deal with it anyway. Be ruthless and deal with it. Because <clears throat> the Spirit of God can't come until sin is dealt with. You know, the rain couldn't come until the issue of the prophets of Baal was dealt with. It just couldn't come. It wasn't going to happen. You know, it <clears throat> didn't matter what Elijah prayed until this issue was dealt with. There was going to be no rain coming. But as soon as that was dealt with, he opened the way. For God to deal with, the, for, for God to send the rain, right? <clears throat> now, look what he says next. And Elijah said unto Ahab, Get thee up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. Now, I wonder what the sound was, because you know what? It doesn't look to me like there was any indication of abundance of rain. But if you look back to the beginning of the chapter, verse 1 of the chapter, you see what God says. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came unto Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. Elijah knew rain was coming. Why? Because he had a promise from God. God told him the rain was coming. Now, you know what? If that were me, I would probably have tended to say, Oh, great, the rain is coming, and relaxed. But that wasn't what God wanted Elijah to do. God gave him the promise, told him that rain was going to come, but he's going to have to, he does a whole lot of work in chapter 18. 
I mean, he challenges the prophets of Baal. He wins that competition. And the passage we're looking at now, he's going to go to prayer. And he's going to go to prayer until the rain comes. But he's going to go to prayer. The sound of the abundance of rain is a word he's had from God. God has told him rain is coming. God has given him a promise. God has told him that, 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 that the rain is coming. Now, when it comes to revival... And we're going to look at some of the things that happen in revival, some of the things that are needed in revival, uh, some of the precursors to revival uh, now in a few moments. <clears throat> but, but when it comes to revival, we can't just be operating on the fact that we want it. It would be just lovely if lots of people would get saved. You know, lots of people would come in the doors of the church. There would be lots of people to pay the bills. There would be uh, people, friends for me to have. There would be uh, all kinds of things. Going. You know, <clears throat> we can't just look at revival uh, in that sense. Revival is a much bigger issue. We, we can't even just look at revival in the sense that, well, people need to get saved and they're not getting saved. You know, we need to look at revival and we need to understand that revival is something that God wants to do. It's something that God wants to do. It's something that God does. All through the history of the Old Testament, you see God bringing revival in times of declension, times when things went really bad, times when the nation of Israel were, were, were really sad and sorry, like in this uh, episode here with Ahab in the northern kingdom and how bad things had gotten and how wicked the people were and how they were worshipping Baal and they were into idolatry and everything else. Well, you know what God did? God brought revival. You say, well, Elijah brought revival. You know what? Revival wasn't born in Elijah's heart. Now, Elijah's a, Elijah's a key instrument in the revival. It wasn't born in his heart. It was born in God's heart. God wanted to bring revival to his people, and he did. You know, <clears throat> we can look at it in history. You can look at the, the great awakenings that have happened in the world. Uh, if, if you listen to the stories surrounding those, you'll find times that the church has gone very low, that the <clears throat> people attending worship has gone low, and that, that, that sin is rampant in the church and rampant in the culture. You'll find times when the, it, it, it will be the darkest of times, and God will step in and God will bring revival. Because the heart of God is to bring revival. The heart of God is to revive his people, to bring his people to a place uh, <clears throat> where they are uh, loving him and serving him. Look at me at Psalm 85. Look at verse 4. <clears throat> it says, Turn us, O God, of our... Psalm 85 and verse 4. Turn us, O God, of our salvation, and cause thine anger towards us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? God, will you not revive us, that your people may rejoice in thee? Do you know what happens in times of declension, in times when the church goes backwards? We stop rejoicing in God. We stop rejoicing in his presence. We stop enjoying him. And you know, God is honored when we enjoy him. God is honored when we find our satisfaction uh, in him, when we, when we are rejoicing in him. And he says, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Wouldn't it be wonderful for God's people all over the world to be taken up with God again? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't, that be just ex wouldn't it be exciting if we as a church would come and weep during the worship? Because we were so in love with him. Wouldn't that be wonderful? That's what revival does. 
Revival <clears throat> brings God's people uh, back into that sweet relationship with him uh, where they're enjoying him once again. You know the song we sing, um, <clears throat> Here is Love, the song of the Welsh Revival. Uh, that was a song that was sung in the Welsh Revivals and sung as people wept over it because it was real. It was just real to them. Here is love. And if you, go, if you go through those words and read them with that in mind, you know what? They are powerful words, vast as the ocean. It's that love that just people were just totally taken up with their God. They were lost in him once again. And <clears throat> God wants us to, to understand that revival is not something we want for our benefit. Revival is something God wants, and it brings us benefit. And so he's given us promises in the Word. Now, we could look at a lot of the Old Testament promises tonight, and you would say, yeah, but that's Old Testament, Pastor, and it wouldn't matter. A lot of them, a lot of them would apply. But I want you to look at one in the New Testament, right? Just one. John chapter 14. <coughs> John chapter 14. And by the way, I've heard this passage applied in all kinds of weird ways. But there's only one real way that it applies. Look at John chapter 14, verse 12. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do, also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Now, that is a mighty promise. And it's a promise. It's very clearly a promise. The works that I do and greater works shall he do. <coughs> it almost sounds impossible, doesn't it? How could we do greater works than God? How could we possibly do anything that would be greater than the works that God did? that Jesus did when he was on the earth. How many of you know of somebody that fed more than 5,000 people with the loaves and the fishes? <coughs> you don't see it happening, do you? How many of you know of people that have raised from the dead like Jesus did? Right? No hoopla. Lazarus, come forth. How many of you know of people that could calm the sea? And by the way, when Jesus did those things, he prayed, but he told us in John chapter 11 why he prayed. He prayed that I might know that the people around him might know. He was God. He, he commanded these things to happen. Lazarus, come forth. Peace, be still. I mean, I mean you, you, you have all kinds of people out there claiming to be doing miracles and wonders and so on, but they're nothing like the power on a par with what Jesus did. And most of them, to be fair to you, wouldn't, com wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't try to portray them as being the same as Jesus did. <clears throat> right? So what does it mean when he says, and greater works than these shall you do. How can we do greater works than Jesus? How is it possible for us to do anything that's greater than Jesus did? He was God. We're not. Well, here's how it's possible. You know, for Jesus' whole ministry, he preached to thousands. At the end of his life, there was about 500 believers. Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 people got saved. And then it doubled, and then they just say it multiplied. Right? Now, 3,000 people, if you go from 3,000 to 6,000, that's not multiplying, that's doubling. 
When you multiply 3,000 people, you're looking at at least going to 9,000. So what you've got is you've got the, the church just going gangbusters and souls getting saved everywhere. Thousands and thousands of people were getting saved. That's the greater works. Why the greater works there? Because the Holy Spirit had come, and that's his job. That's what he does. Now, nobody here is going to be able to show me where the Holy Spirit's been withdrawn and that work has stopped. History won't tell you that. Now, you, you can look back at history and you'll see times of revival and times that are very clearly not revival. <clears throat> but you won't see any time when the Holy Spirit is gone. The Holy Spirit's not gone. He's here. He's still doing that work. He's still doing the work of revival. And, you know, <clears throat> revival is when God makes himself real to his people and ultimately to the world through his people. God shows his power. God makes himself real so that when the word of God is preached, the impact is multiplied. It's not just, you know, convincing words from a man. It's the spirit of God making his word explosive like dynamite so that great things happen. That's what revival is. Revival is when God comes down and God does a work in hearts and lives that nobody can deny because it's God that's doing it. And we need to understand, we have promises in the Bible. <clears throat> if you couldn't find any other one, you, you could look at this and you could say, <clears throat> um, God, you promised greater works. Lord, is our age going to be devoid of greater works? Are, are, are we the people that are not going to see Revival. Because I honestly think, you know what, every generation sees revival. Some of you uh, in this room, you can remember revival in this church. Some of you can remember being touched in other revivals around the place. Because that's what God does. God does the work of revival. It's not us just hanging in there till the end. God does the work of revival. Let, let me say one thing. We constantly pray about the young people, don't we? Do you know that the young people falling away uh, is one of the signs that very often uh, goes before revival? Now, why? Why would that be? Because young people come and they want to see something real. They want to see power. They want to see God. And, and you know, in some senses, they're, 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 they're wild, but they're also very practical. If they don't see the power, if you talk about power and they don't see the power, they say, I oh, forgot that. That's rubbish. But when God comes in revival, now they're convinced, not by anybody's words, but by the power of the Spirit of God. And what you'll see in revival is you'll see young people drawn to churches. You'll see young people often leading these churches in spirituality because they, get, they, get, I mean, they get, can get wild on the right side as well as wild on the wrong side as well. But that's one of the things that God does. And we've got to understand that what we need at LifeGate Bible Baptist Church is not a new program. It's not a new person. What we need at LifeGate Bible Baptist Church is we need revival. What all the churches around this country need is not a new program, not new music. We need revival. That's what we need. We need good old-fashioned Holy Spirit, God-sent revival. We need God to come down and do a work. We don't need somebody to come up and preach a storm, up a storm and make us all feel bad. We need the Holy Spirit to do that, maybe. But it needs to be revival come down from heaven. And it changes everything. Everything in the church and everything outside the church gets changed. You know, people will say, yeah, well, that's okay, Pastor, but it doesn't last. No, it normally doesn't last. 
You know, Pentecost and the power of Pentecost lasted for a long time, but it didn't last forever. Right? <clears throat> what happens? Sin gets in the way. But you know the impact of revival always lasts. There are people in this room tonight that were impacted in the year 2000 when God came down, and they're still impacted by it. They are still impacted by it. My son wanted nothing to do with Christianity going into that revival, and now he's preaching the gospel down in Ireland. It has an impact. It changes lives. It changes everything. So don't, don't, don't you let people pawn you off with the fact that well, it doesn't last. And, and you know, people say, well, we prayed for it and it didn't happen. I'll show you something about that in a second. But you know what? Uh, God doesn't promise to, promise to do it on cue. He doesn't. And there, there, there are some things that you can pray and you can have the answers like that. You know, I, th I think very often our personal needs, God does that with us, isn't he? You have personal need and you pray and you ask God, and God will meet that personal need. <clears throat> you know, uh, very often, not all the time, but God, God, God holds out on us uh, from time to time, even in those things, uh, to help us. But you know what? <clears throat> when it comes to revival, it's one of those things that God wants you to engage with him on. God's got a heart for it. God's got a plan for it. God's got a work to do in it, but he wants you to engage with him on it. He wants you to come to the place where you are seeking it in the same way as he is. And by the way, let me say this. The biggest thing that convinces me that revival is coming is this. There's 8 billion people in the world, almost 8 billion people in our world today, that know nothing for the most part about the Lord Jesus Christ and about salvation. And Jesus died to pay the price for their sins. Mercy demands that God do something to show them the reality of his power and who he is. I believe revival is coming like we've never seen. I believe revival is coming like the world has never seen. And I believe it's coming because mercy demands it. And our God is a merciful God. Our God will, <clears throat> will have mercy on us yet again. Back to our passage, though, here um, in 1 Kings, 1 Kings 18. So there is a sound of abundance of rain. There's a, there's a need. And there's a promise to go with the need. Right? <clears throat> I want you to look at this, this next part. Um, verse 42. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink. Um, <clears throat> now, understand this. The world doesn't know it needs revival. The world is caught up with the thing. Ahab's just going to eat. Elijah's going somewhere different. And, and, and let me say this. We need to be different from the world in this. The world doesn't know there's a need. The world doesn't care. You know, you're not going to meet people saying, oh, you know what we need? We need God. They don't know that. They don't care. They're, they're, they're puddling along uh, in their lives the way they've always done, and they just are doing the best they can. They're going to just go and eat. You know, the biggest thing that happens. I mean, <clears throat> Ahab's a really, uh, a really low kind of a character. Here's the, these 850 guys that are his guys, because his wife brought them in, have just been killed. And you know the most important thing to Ahab? Let me get something to eat. I'm hungry. And so they got meats laid out for him. So, um, so Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he cast himself down upon the earth, and he put his face between his knees. Now, just put something in your minds. Just a few verses before, we have Elijah laughing at the prophets of Baal. He's laughing at them. <coughs> he's saying, maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's doing something unmentionable. You know, hey, listen, uh, where's Balak? Can't he bring anyone? He's laughing at them. And, you know, he is standing erect. He is fearless. And, and when he cries out to God then, but when he comes to this prayer, things change for him. 
He's adopting a very humble position. See, we don't understand this. that When it comes to revival, we don't deserve it. And, and we don't earn it. And we don't have a right to it. I've seen people pray like they have a right to it. Like they've gotten their house in order and everything's right with them and they have a right to revival. No, you don't have a right to revival. When it comes to revival, listen, you are dealing with the holy God and asking a gift from his hand, I think maybe the ultimate gift after salvation. And when when it comes to revival, the people of God adopt a humble position. A humble heart and a humble attitude. Uh, <clears throat> and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel and he, uh, and he cast himself down upon the earth and he put his face between his knees and he said unto his servant, go up now and look towards the sea. And he went and he looked and he said, there is nothing. Now hang on a minute. <clears throat> Elijah has the promise that started this whole thing. Go, show yourself to Ahab and I will send rain. You know what I would have been inclined to do? I would have been inclined to say, okay, Lord, you said you were going to send the rain. Here we go, send the rain. We won the battle on Carmel. Everybody's turned around. The prophets of Baal are gone. Send the rain, Lord. But he goes and he prays and God doesn't send the rain. Now look at the rest here. And he said, go again seven times. Go again seven times. Keep looking. I'm going to keep praying and you keep looking. You keep going and looking. It's coming. You keep going and looking. Now, you know what strikes me here? I would have thought it was automatic by this point. I would have thought you just have to pray and it would come. But that's not always the way it is, is it? Look at Luke 11. Luke 11. Luke 11, is the, <clears throat> the, the disciples asked the Lord to teach them to pray, so he teaches them uh, the Lord's Prayer. Right? <clears throat> um, and, and in verse 5, then he teaches them how to pray. He teaches them what to pray, which is an interesting study, and then he teaches them how to pray. And we'll read through it, <clears throat> but I want to be quick with it, right? And he said, which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. Right? Now, the... The principle there, the people listening to Jesus would have understood very, very clearly, right? If somebody comes to your house and they're under your roof, in those times you are responsible for feeding them. It's beyond shame for them to go to bed hungry. It's impossible. You have got to find food for them somewhere. You have got to go and find. So here it is, the middle of the night. Everybody's in bed, but you know, and you think, oh, my, my neighbor's going to hate me, but I've got to gotta go and get some bread. So he knocks on the door, and the guy says, no way. Listen, my kids are in bed. There's no way I'm disturbing my household. Get off with you. But he won't go away because he can't, because he has to have bread to give to them. He has to have bread to give to these people. Now, folks, <clears throat> isn't that where we are spiritually? 
Now, it's all very well for us to kind of closet ourselves in here and be happy uh, in our Christianity and think, you know, this is great, this is wonderful, we're happy with what we have. Amen, praise the Lord. But there's a world out there that, spiritually speaking, is starving to death. It's starving to death. It has no food. It doesn't know where to get food. It has no food. And do we not have a responsibility? Didn't Paul say that he was a debtor both to the Greeks <clears throat> and that he was a debtor both to the Jews and to the Greeks, that it was his responsibility to bring the gospel to the Gentiles? Don't we have a responsibility? Can we really live and wash our hands and say, well... You know what, I know they're not saved, but you know what, the church is here and the sign is there and, you know, we pass out leaflets and if they don't come, nothing we can do about it. I think we have a responsibility to feed them. But here's the problem. We have no bread. We have no power to feed them. Why do people, are, why are people not interested? Because there's no power. You know, if you, you read through the stories of revival... Albert Finney could walk into a room and <clears throat> people would come under conviction when the man walked into a room. Now that's recorded. People would come under conviction when the man walked into a room. Because the power of God was such on his life. Now was that because of Albert Finney? No, it's because of the power of God, obviously. But you know what? There's a power available to us that we're not experiencing. And it's very easy for us, and the enemy's very happy for us to just say, there, there, don't worry about it, that's just the way it is. These are dark days, it's the end of time, and you know what, uh, they're not going to listen, so don't, don't worry about it. No. You know what, there's, there's, there's bread, there's food available, and we've got to get it. And that's what, this, that's what this story is about. That's what Jesus is telling us, telling the disciples here. He's telling them, you know, <clears throat> listen, there are things you need to be importunate about. Now, here's what I find in my own life and probably what you find in yours. If something really bothers me, I get importunate about it. I, you know, something that you need in your life, something that's a hardship for you and a difficulty for you, you start crying out to God. You can cry out to God a lot for that, can't you? Because that bothers you. Because right? that's, that's an irritation to you and an irritation to your life. But you know what I think the things that we're supposed to get importunate about, they're much bigger than that. I think revival is the number one thing we're supposed to get importunate about. You say, but I prayed for that. Well, you didn't pray long enough. You know what? You can't quit till it comes. You can't give up till it comes. Because you can't feed them any other way. You can't give them what they need any other way. The only possible way to feed a lost and dying world is for you and I. To get importunate with God, because God, we need bread. You have loved ones in your life that know nothing about the gospel. And you can say, well, they've heard. And that's true. But you know what? The lack of power is the lack of connection. And you need power. You need power. You need the power of God. You know, if, you go through, if you go through Peter's sermon uh, <clears throat> in Acts chapter 1, that sermon at Pentecost, when he preaches the gospel and um, he just lets loose with it, it's really not a very remarkable sermon. They're not remarkable words. They're not powerful words. And 3,000 people got saved. Peter didn't do it. God did it. The Holy Spirit had come down, rested upon Peter, so that when Peter opened his mouth, there was power with his words. Do you know what the world needs to see? It needs to see power. 
It needs to see God move in hearts in a mighty way. It needs to see the power of God, and it's it's only going to see it on the people of God. We need bread. We need bread bad. We're just not aware how much we need it. Uh, Verse 9, And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Of course not. Or if he shall ask for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Do you want another promise? There it is. The promise that says, Your heavenly Father will give you the Holy Spirit, and it's talking about the Holy Spirit's power. And it's not talking about the Holy Spirit's power for you to make money. And it's not talking about the Holy Spirit's power for you to have a great time. It's talking about the Holy Spirit's power for you to reach people. You chase it through the Bible, you'll find the Holy Spirit's power is given in the greatest measure to reach people with the gospel. It's not given for fun nights in the church. It's given so that you can reach people with the gospel. You got a promise there. There's a there's a the lost and dying world, a starving world out there. You've got a responsibility for them, and God gives you a promise. If you won't quit, I'll give it. I'll give that power. We can't quit. We can't give up. We can't give up until until the last breath is drawn. We can't we gotta pray. We've got to cry out to God. Uh, for revival, because there's no way the world is going to get it apart from that. Let me read you. Um, There's a cloud as small as a man's hand arising out of the sea. That's what Elijah said. In November 1904, the edition of The Life of Faith, a London newspaper, dedicated to the deeper life movement, a writer named Jesse Penn Lewis reported on a remarkable work just beginning in Wales under the ministry of men like Evan Roberts and Seth Joshua. She reported that a cloud no bigger than a man's hand had arisen in Wales. It was a fitting description of a clear but small beginning of what became a mighty work. Do you know that by the time it was done in Wales, there were 200,000 people saved? 20% of the population of Wales got saved. That's in the last century. That's not, you know, uh, ancient history there. You know, that happened. 200,000 people got saved. And, you know, if you drive around Wales, there are churches all over the place. Now, they've fallen into disuse at this point. But there are churches all over the place that came from that revival. Because Christianity just flourished, and it didn't end there. It spread everywhere. Right? <clears throat> but a cloud as small as a man's hand. Right? What did Elijah have? He had a promise. He had a promise from a mighty God, and he took it as a cloud as small as a man's hand. Right? <clears throat> Let me read you what Spurgeon said. Charles Spurgeon used this text as an illustration of the small signs that precede a mighty work of God. He spoke of four certain, four certain signs and tokens for good which prayerful faith clearly perceives when an awakening, a genuine revival, is about to come. Christians should regard the following things as clouds as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. 
First of all, a growing dissatisfaction with the present state of things and an increasing anxiety among the members of the church for the salvation of souls. That's the first thing. You know what? We need to have a growing dissatisfaction. Do you know what we do, though? We have an incredible ability to divert our dissatisfaction for the real spiritual needs and do stuff that makes us feel better, don't we? We make our lives, we make our lives okay, we make our lives feel okay, we do, do other things, you know, <clears throat> we got good things going on, and we look at those good things and, we are, and we're satisfied in them. And the eight billion people are continuing to go to hell. I understand, you, you can't let something else satisfy you. Should we do other good works? Should we do other good things? Definitely. But they don't answer the problem. They don't fix the problem. What we need is, <clears throat> we need to, to allow ourselves to come to the place where there's a burden for lost souls upon us, right? <clears throat> Second one, he says, when this anxiety leads believers to be exceedingly earnest and importunate in prayer. Let, let me challenge you to do something. I'm not going to challenge you to do it for a long, but I'm going to challenge you to do it every day. Pray for revival every day. Every single day. Lord, we need revival. Bring us revival. I'm not, not asking you to spend four hours in prayer every day, but every day, ask God to bring revival. Because Dublin needs revival. Tala needs revival. LifeGate needs revival. We need revival. So pray that God will bring revival. Get, get, get earnest about it. Uh, and, you know, if you get earnest about it and start crying out to God, you know, God will give you a burden for it. And, Number four, he says, when ministers begin to take counsel one with another and to say, what must we do? Now, why are they saying that? Because they're looking at their churches and they're saying, you know what, things are falling apart. People are not interested. Young people don't come. They don't care. They don't want to know. You know, they're far from the things of God. All those things could be said about this day and age that we live in. Uh, ministers begin to ask, what must we do? And the fourth one, he says, when we shall see the doctrine of the individual responsibility of each Christian fully felt and carried out into into individual action. What is your individual responsibility in this matter? You're supposed to be a witness, number one, aren't you? Do you you realize that not being a witness is just rank disobedience? That is rank disobedience. You and I are supposed to be witnesses of, for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you wanted to actually tie it down to what our responsibility in life is, that's it. We've got a lot of other things we do. We've got a lot of other things we have to do, but we're supposed to be witnesses. That's the individual responsibility of the believer. And then I would add to it, prayer that God will do a work. There needs to be that heart and that passion uh, in God's people. We need to be in that place where we're where we're looking to God to do something. You know, folks, Ahab went for food. That's what the world's doing. The world's going to find enjoyment. It's, it, it, it rests with us to actually come to the place where we're crying out to God to do that work in hearts and lives. It rests with us. And if we will do it, God will do great things. God's not done yet. God's not finished with our world yet. God's not in heaven recoiling from all the sin and saying, oh, there's nothing I can do about it. He's got plenty of power to do it, but somehow, as he did with Elijah, he gives Elijah a promise, and then he says, now, Elijah, I want you to pray importunately. I want you to hang in there in prayer. God wants us to pray. And then number three, back to our text in in, um, 1 Kings. (laughs) 
And we're going to close with this, right? Expect an answer. Don't go praying, you know, <clears throat> thinking, well, you know, it'd be a nice thing. Expect an answer. <clears throat> he said, go seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time that he said, behold, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. And he said, go, go up. Say unto Ahab, prepare thy chariot and get thee down, that the rain stop thee not. And it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven was black and the clouds and the wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was upon Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Right? So the, the, the heavens became black and the rain started coming down and it was a gully washer. Right? Now, here's the thing. For three and a half years... Everybody in Israel has been looking at the sky and saying, oh, I wish it would rain today. For three and a half years, they've been looking at blue skies and they've been thinking, I wish it would rain. Oh, wouldn't it be great if it would rain? Just a shower even. Wouldn't it be fantastic? Wouldn't it be wonderful? You know, Lord, or whoever they were praying to, they were, they were, they were, they were looking for rain. And in a moment like that, there was a deluge. It came down in power. It's like God released the heavens and let the rain come down. Now, here's the point I want to make on this. When we pray and ask God for revival, let's keep in mind that God can change the situation like that. You know someone you're burdened for? Somebody maybe who's saved and in the world and rejecting and scoffing. You know what? God can come down and change it like that. God can turn it around in a moment. You know, have you, do you know people that you're looking at and, 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 and they're not saved and they're not interested and they reject it all? God can change it like that. God can, that's the business God's in. You see, when revival comes, when that mighty power comes from heaven, it comes and God gets all the glory. Because Elijah couldn't do this. It wasn't possible for him to do this. This was a God thing, beginning, middle, and end. And God gets all the glory from it, and God can do it again. But he wants to, you and I to become partners with him in it. He wants you and I to come to the place where we begin to cry out for him to do it. He wants you and I to be importunate in prayer and to cry out to him. Let's do this tonight. Let's all stand for prayer. And I'll close this in a moment. But before I do, if God has laid it on your heart, would you just cry out for revival? It can only be just one sentence if you like. It doesn't have to be a long prayer, but cry out for revival. And let me, let me, let me plead with you. Will you make it a, an important part of your prayer life that you ask God for revival? That you ask God, is there anything in your life that would hinder? And then that you ask God for revival. But I'm going to pray and then I'm going to throw it open and you just cry out. Father in heaven, we thank you for this evening. Thank you, Lord for your people. And oh Lord, we thank you for the promises we see of revival now. Blessed Spirit of the living God, would you move in this meeting now? Would you cause your people to cry out to you? And Lord, would you send revival in Jesus' name?